She knows stuff. Welcome to She Knows Stuff, a podcast about the backstories or the little unknowns about random things. I'm your host, Lisa Chin Kui. Man up. You act like a girl. You play like a girl. You cry like a girl. How many times have you heard those words? As if all inferior skills should be attributed to being a girl. As if girls are less than. Ha! I have a story that will make you think twice on so many levels. It's a throwback. I'm going to take you back to the mid to late 90s. Sex in the City had us wondering if our sexual proclivities mirrored Carrie, Samantha, Miranda, or Charlotte's. Seinfeld showed us the humor and the little obsessions of life. Nations were engrossed and locked in front of TVs for the OJ trial. Discman blasted Tupac's How Do You Want It? We sported fly Air Jordans or Parasuko jeans that we placed on layaway. Famine in the Sudan? Domestic terrorist Timothy McVeigh blows up the Oklahoma City Federal Building. Quebec almost separates from the rest of Canada with a close 50.6% not to separate vote. Slang kicked scrubs to the curb. We were told to speak to the hand. Lorena Bobbitt got a lot of you go girl when she cut off her husband's penis. And another famous penis made into the headlines when it got a BJ in the Oval Office. I was working with a family member who owned a successful small-sized company, about 80 employees. He was co-founder, and some of the staff had been with him since the beginning, helping him to grow his business. He was loyal to his staff, and they were to him. There was a couple, a husband and wife, worked for him, and both basically worked in similar departments. So when a promotion came up, they were both considered for and wanted the position, an increase in pay and management level. He spoke to me about it because he was having a hard time deciding. A few days later, he told me his decision. He said he promoted the husband. But I knew he thought the wife was a better fit and more qualified. I was surprised and asked him why he gave the position to the husband when the wife was clearly the better candidate. His response? Well, I didn't want it to cause any problems at home, seeing as she would be making more than him and she would be in a higher position. My thoughts exactly. I expressed my opinion that it was not fair. He agreed, but it was too late. He already told them. I wonder how many times a woman or a person of color didn't receive the promotion they deserved because someone didn't want to buck the sexist or racist status quo. This was about 25 years ago. But you look so young. And although there has been some change, 
the wage gap, the pink collar ghetto, and the lack of diversity at the decision-making tables shows it's pretty minute. This week's episode is based on a recent research published by the United Nations International Labor Organization. It found that more women in executive levels means increased profits and increased bottom line. More women in executive positions means more profits for companies. What? Uh, Do you need me to say it again? More women in leadership roles mean higher profits and increased bottom line. Yes, that would make sense, considering approximately half the population of the world are females. That's 49.6% of the 7 billion 710, 571, 276,000. And contrary to a particular antiquated school of thought, the female persuasion on a whole is fairly intelligent and business savvy. Natural talent and understanding how the other half makes decisions firsthand for their household is a unique added superpower especially in boardrooms at the decision-making table. I don't know about you, but it makes logical business sense to me. And by the way, I'm not making those statements just out of thin air or out of my arse or my own wishful thinking. They're facts, fully supported by research published by the UN's International Labor Organization, the ILO. The findings were based on a survey of 13,000 companies across 70 countries. It shows companies that increase gender diversity in management positions have significant increases in profits, ranging from 5 to 20%. Some other points derived from the survey, 57% of the businesses surveyed said that increase of women at the top made it easier to attract and retain talent, and others said they saw more creativity, innovation, and openness while enhancing the company's reputation. What does balance look like? Balance isn't necessarily a 50-50 split, but defined as a 40-60% ration of either gender. However, according to the ILO, the benefits of gender diversity take effect when it is at least 30% of senior management and leadership positions. At least 60% of companies within the survey acknowledge that they did not meet these numbers. And in nearly half of the companies, their entry-level management recruits did not meet the one out of three ratio. There's still a far way to go, and with the range in cultural expectations and laws internationally, the numbers may vary from continent to continent. Let's take a look at the global range. The Middle East and North Africa counted only 10% of women in management positions. Although globally, more women are working, 
they are less likely to have a job than men, and consequently, less likely to be in executive roles. Hmm. Throughout the world, only 20% of women are chief executives, and they're usually in smaller companies. On a side note, when comparing the quantity of small companies to large companies, small companies make up the majority of companies worldwide. For example, in Canada, almost 98%, and in the US, 99%. So small businesses are the foundation of a thriving economy. Quote by Deborah France Mason, head of the ILO's Employers Activity Bureau. She states, It is still quite clear that there are fewer women in management roles than in the workforce as a whole. And the higher you go up the chain of command in a company, the less likely you are to find women. Mm. Which takes us to the pink collar ghetto. The pink collar ghetto refers to fields in which women are typically hired and the wages are lower. It's in these areas where they usually rise to management levels. Franz Mason points out that women exceed in management positions in the areas of human resources and administration, more so than in financial management. The primary driving force behind a company is making a profit. And so, if the fears of hiring women at the executive levels are loss of profits and or placing a company in jeopardy, the excuse can no longer be used to maintain glass ceilings and glass walls. Hiring women and giving them equal pay isn't just about being fair and just and leveling the playing field. It's about the bottom line. Oh. On a side note, as I sat writing the blog piece for this podcast, the breaking news of the day was that Rihanna's Fanties line had propelled her to be the wealthiest female musician in the world. And she is as female and as authentic as one gets. So what about the wage gap? Since female participation increases profits, then it makes sense that women should be given the same opportunities given to men and paid the same wage instead of the current practice where women and visible minorities earn a fraction of what a white male earns. The wage gap day is a brilliant way of demonstrating the difference. In the US, women earn 85% of what men earn. It would take an extra 39 days for a woman to earn the same as a man in the U.S. Longer still, if you're African American or Latino. In Canada, women earn 75% of what men earn in a 12-month period, and it takes them 15.5 months to earn the same as a man in the same position with the same socioeconomic background, and just like the U.S., the larger gaps if racialized or indigenous. That sucks. Of course, I couldn't just end without highlighting some of the most successful female executives. 
The list is short, but by no means complete or globally inclusive. Although the examples of excellence are of women in Fortune 500 companies, many small and successful companies are run by women. As well, keep in mind that the majority of businesses that keep our economy healthy are micro and small businesses. What's a Fortune 500? Quote, as stated on Wikipedia, the Fortune 500 is an annual list compiled and published by Fortune magazine that ranks 500 of the largest United States corporations by total of revenue for their respective fiscal years. The list includes publicly held companies along with privately held companies for which revenues are publicly available. End quote. Women powerhouses. Here are a few that are sure to inspire. Indra Nui of PepsiCo. Indra Nui changed the way PepsiCo did business and increased sales 80% over 12 years as CEO. According to CNN Business, by paying attention to society's shift in healthier food choices, she carefully maneuvered the offerings into three categories. Fun for you, the company's legacy of soft drinks and chips. Better for you, low-calorie snacks and diet drinks that include baked chips. Thirdly, good for you, includes cyber hummus, Quaker Oats oatmeal, and naked juice smoothies. The combination of the three categories captures the varying degrees of taste and health consciousness. Two more exceptional powerhouses are Ursula Burns and Anne Mulcahy of Xerox. The story of Ursula Burns and Anne Mulcahy makes history as more than one first. Ursula Burns is the first African-American CEO of a Fortune 500 company and the first woman to follow another woman CEO, Anne Mulcahy. These two women worked together while Mulcahy was CEO and once she resigned, Burns stepped into the position. Mulcahy stepped into the role of CEO in 2000, when Xerox was on the verge of bankruptcy. She ignored the financial advisors who told her to declare bankruptcy and took the risky route and hunkered down with committed executives all over the world and sold pieces of Xerox, farmed out manufacturing, and eliminated jobs and expenses. Ultimately, saving the company and paying off its debt and improving the product line. And by the way, when Mulcahy took the CEO position, she had to take a crash course on the finances and what it all meant. Working closely, Burns executed on the plans with Mulcahy, and so it was a natural for her to fulfill the role after Mulcahy's departure. In her tenure, she led the transition from document to diversified services and the transformation of Xerox into two separate publicly traded entities. Both Mulcahy and Burns were longtime employees of Xerox. So there you go. You might want to start playing like a girl and woman up. 
That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share, subscribe, and leave a review over on iTunes. That's all for now, but I'll see you in the next episode of She Knows Stuff Podcast.